Welcome to The Schooled Podcast, a podcast about Christian schooling. We believe that Christian schools are a countercultural, revolutionary movement and a significant part of what God is doing in the world today. Join us as we explore the Christian schooling movement, its origins, its purpose, and its future. Welcome back to The Schooled Podcast first studio episode for 2020. Yes, we had a live recording at the St. Philip's Christian College Big Day Out at the University of Newcastle a couple of weeks ago, and that was fun, but it's good to be back in the studio. Yeah, it's good to be here. Good to be back at school. School's not the same without, you know, us, or without the students, really. Without the podcast. Without the podcast. (laughs) Must say, by studio, we mean the office. Your office, and we're more than likely to be disturbed in about 30 seconds. So let's make this quick. (laughs) 30 seconds, all right? So the St. Philip's Big Day, it was great. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to have a good listen. It was, it was, a, it was a great time. So we had Mark Sayers, yeah. who's a great cultural commentator, and he spoke to the staff uh, all day over a number of sessions, and that was super encouraging. Mm. And he's got a new book out, Reappearing Church, which is really worth a read. It's not, it's not necessarily a light read. But it's definitely uh, something that helps shift your perspective yeah. on where we stand, I guess, from a kingdom um, perspective in our current culture and society. Absolutely. Uh, it's full of hope. Full of hope. And really, it actually encourages you to read it with people and to take it on practically. And so, uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to, uh, to get a hold of that. Yeah, so he was great. We also heard from Althea Westerman from AACS, the Australian Association of Christian Schools. She was fantastic. Mm. And uh, it was great to hear about what they are doing in advocating and, I guess, lobbying on behalf of Christian schools in Mm. Australia. So in our live podcast, we discussed the secret herbs and spices, you know, the, the secret elements that make up a Christian school. And the Colonel has 11. We found four. Yeah, and, uh, but they're not the only four, of course. So uh, we talked about four, I guess, secrets to what mm. makes a Christian school Christian. And then in the last couple of weeks since then, uh, you, you came across an article. Yeah, an article by Sean Brooker on the ACSI website. And he is the principal of Hamilton Christian School in New Zealand. Shout out to our New Zealand neighbors. Yep, shout and out to the, the New Zealanders. Chair, chairman of the uh, New Zealand Association for Christian Schools. And... He's written this blog post that looks at examining our schools and asking how we can become more Christian in Christian schools. And and it just ties in so nicely to what we were discussing. And so today we want to really explore a few of these elements. We'll put the link to that post on the description for this episode. And we encourage you to read that as well. Yeah, it's definitely worth a read. And some of the things that he touches on in this article have very similar themes to what we spoke about last week in our last episode. Uh, There's a great quote from the article right at the beginning there, and he talks about all the great things that Christian schools do. But then he says, while there is much to celebrate about how Christian schools develop Christian thinking in our students, we also need to be aware that Christian schools can contribute to students developing bad Christian habits or practices and mindsets that are less like the ones Jesus taught and more like the religious behaviors the Pharisees would have been proud of. When I read that, I thought that is very challenging. Hugely challenging. One that would never be our intention. You know, Anyone sort of setting out in Christian school would never have the intention of becoming the Pharisee. Yet it's interesting that we can actually fall into, I guess, doing or, or creating some of these behaviors. Yeah, because as educators, as leaders, teachers... 
we do make the rules mm. and uh and we are in the way in our context the the power brokers yeah and so and and the pharisees were that in their time we we think when we read the stories of jesus and the gospels we automatically put ourselves in the picture as one of jesus's disciples yeah. standing alongside jesus saying you know giving it to the pharisees yeah but when you think okay here were the people who were in charge uh, who set the rules and who set the tone and who taught mm. we could very easily if we're not moving in the right spirit maybe not be sitting in the part of the story where we thought we would be what if our students are actually experiencing what we do as as actually that something quite pharisaical it's a bit of a tough question isn't it and one that i think if, if we to be honest we have to actually look at this and assess this so that we don't slip into that sort of behavior inadvertently and be the the religious establishment mm, that's it so uh, so i think first of all like you said acknowledging our position of power acknowledging that that is actually something that that could be the case uh, that some of our best intentions could actually not have the effect that we planned so uh so in this we're going to pull apart a few things that look at that because our, our aim is not behavior modification it's heart transformation yeah that's exactly right and and a pharisaical spirit that sort of religious spirit will lead us just to doing things that are aimed at modifying behavior and making people fit into a box but we know that jesus came for heart transformation yeah and in our schools if kids simply toe the line because we demand a certain type of behavior then that can also lead them into believing that being a christian is just about modifying yourself to a certain set of behaviors yeah that's exactly right and when you look at jesus and you look at uh, so many of the stories through the new testament we see that it's actually the heart transformation that takes place first yes because the behavior will follow if that transformation on the inside takes place yes that's great. So the first element that's explored in this article is that of biblical literacy. And we've, we've discussed that in previous episodes about the need for teachers to improve their biblical literacy, to improve their understanding of scriptures so they can teach out of a place of knowledge, a depth of understanding. In our schools, obviously in a Christian school, we use the Bible and there can be, I mean, I guess you've heard kids talk about Bible bashing or, you know. Yeah, totally. That sort of thing. And, and and that would never be anyone's intention. However, I, I guess, and this is explored here, you, you can see how very quickly with the wrong approach, it could very quickly seem like you know someone is doing that. So, yeah. um, so I guess it, he explores here, he says, uh, you want to develop in students a lifelong love of scriptures and a conviction that the Bible is authentic and relevant to our students' lives. Yeah, that's great. So we want we want students to have the tools mm. uh, to be able to find their way around the Bible, to navigate through Scripture, that to memorize verses, to ha- have all of those, I guess, practical things mm. happening. But uh, the point being made here is that if you do all of that and yet the young person has not developed a love of the Scriptures, mm. the young person has not developed a I guess, a lens that says, okay, this has some application to my life. Yeah. This, there is some value in this. If we can't impart that, then all the tools in the world around how to read the Bible don't really matter, mm. aren't really of use. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting talking to students and if they haven't thought much about it, they will just see the Bible as old and irrelevant. Yeah. And I was talking to some year 12 students and it was fascinating because 
you know, they've read the Bible in school, but asked how many have read it just on their own. And a few of them had looked at it a little bit. Some of them felt like they didn't really know how. And so that was obviously a, a, you know, a point where they wouldn't engage and haven't in the past. And a couple of students could say that they think that there's some, there's some really important things in the Bible. I think there was that link of they could start to see the relevance, but then there was the, the lack of skill in how to engage. So like, yeah, I think there's important things there, but I don't really know how to draw that out. And so we got to discussing ways on how to read the Bible that often they read it just from a, you know, me first perspective, you know, I'll just open to any Bible verse and how does this relate to me? Uh, which is a great way to take the Bible totally out of context. <laughs> and But we discussed, you know, like the, the original context of the Bible, who it was written for, and then looking at sort of how it relates to the wider church. And then finally, how that applies to me. And so I was able to help them to understand how to actually engage with the scriptures and how that is relevant. And uh, I'm sure you've had kids before bring different Bible verses and they want to, you know, sort of, they, they think they're going to pin you with this verse, like, oh, I'll stump you with this one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what do you think about this? Did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> well, you got me. You got me. You know? I never thought about that. Oh, my goodness. And so, and it is funny. And once you show kids, well, you don't just whip out a Bible verse and throw it at someone. That we actually, there's ways of engaging with this. And, and that's actually, actually helpful to give them a lens to which to read the Bible. Yeah, that's great. What I love about what you're doing there with that class is that you're giving them tools and uh, the skills to be able to read the Bible. Mm. But I think the profound thing that's happening in those conversations is that you are creating the link from the there and then, mm. from the stories in the Bible, the link to the here and now, and this is personal to me. Yes. And I think that if we miss that, if we talk about the there and then in the Bible mm. and we talk about the rules and the commandments and everything and God, mm. but we don't create that link to this is how it relates to me mm. and this is how um, how that matters, Yes, then it lacks authenticity mm. and most of all, it lacks relevance. Yeah. Yeah. Relevance is so key. And uh, our students won't engage with something that's not relevant. So I think that's, that's a huge one. And I mean, that class, they are on a journey and I'm hoping to have many more great conversations with them over the, over the next year. They have, you know, three more terms here. I'm really hoping that they'll be able to engage and get to that point where they can take that on themselves. So, and I think for any teacher in any class, that that's the the goal, isn't it? Going on that journey with students and not expecting that in lesson one they'll just get it, but going, no, well, let's like explore this together. So, in a Christian school, obviously, we want students to read the Bible. Mm. We also need them to know how to read the Bible. Mm. More importantly, we need them to know why to read the Bible yeah. and. If we can progress even further than that and take them not just to the how and the why, but that they love to read the Bible and yeah. value the scriptures, then that's a successful outcome from being in a Christian school. Yeah, that's excellent. Another point he talks about in this article is prayer in schools. Mm. And prayer is obviously something very important to us in a Christian school context. We will pray at school. Yeah. We'll pray at the beginning of the day in our morning prayer and our chapel services and at different occasions. When we're looking at this and saying, okay, heart transformation over behavior modification it's what are we inadvertently teaching students by the way we model prayer that might not be what we're wanting to teach yeah. so for example mm. uh, is that prayer is something that's just done at certain times in the day 
Prayer is something that is a particular ritual and there's only one way to do it. Prayer is something that is only led by particular people with particular titles. Prayer is something that, you know, only fits into certain yes. times or Yeah, we um, only activities. pray about certain things. Yes. It's easy to form a, like a religious spirit around that, isn't it? Like sort of the pharisaical approach. Yeah, so it just becomes a ritual. Mm. Uh, but the Bible actually talks, and within Christian tradition, prayer is something... A, lot more rich and a lot mm. more personal than that. You know, the Bible talks about pray without ceasing. Yeah. How do we model that? How do we help students in a school to get an understanding or even just some concept of what it means to have a relationship with God in prayer, mm. not just go through rites and rituals and certain phrases at yes. certain parts of the day? It's making prayer a natural part of our day. Isn't it? So it's like the naturally supernatural things that we do. Yes. And so I, the question here is, you know, how, how do we make prayer an integral part of our day? And, uh, and then he asks, uh, how is prayer modeled in our schools? And, and I think that that can be that thing that we often do model prayer in ways that might lead it to being like um, an us and them. Or yes. a, there's a sort of a hierarchy of, you know, who prays. Yeah, when do we pray? Do we only pray at the start of the day, uh, or do we only you know thank God for our meals? Or uh, you know when something bad happens, what do we do? I do find it hard sometimes. You know, with some groups, and you probably found this. There's some groups, particularly older students, who can be quite hard towards prayer. Yeah, well, you've got a you've definitely got a mixed bag in the classroom mm. of people all the way from supportive, discipled followers of Jesus mm. through to people who are anti yeah. in the same room and they're all a captive audience right that, there that's it they have to be there and part of our day we have in our school we call it morning prayer and so we'll have you know we pray in the morning and for some of the kids they're they're there because they have to be there and uh there's been times where you know i've been in different groups and i'll say i'll you know i'm gonna pray for you and kids almost look at you like it's you know like you know, some sort of question like, hang on, like it's, you know, I'm praying. What's, what's going to happen? Yeah, I know. Like it's not going to hurt. You know, I'm praying mm-hmm. a blessing on you. You know, this, this will be, yeah, I'm praying you'll have a great day essentially. And uh, one thing I've tried is asking kids to engage in thought experiments. So finding ways to engage them in prayer that isn't so confronting, but saying, what if, you know, do a thought experiment. What if there is a God who loves you and, and there's a situation you can see that's not right. And he actually wants that to be right. And so the, the power isn't in the thought experiment. The power is in prayer, but it's a step towards engaging them in prayer. And it's a tool to just take down some barriers yes. just for a moment, to the suspension of disbelief for yeah. a moment. See yeah, if- I'm not going to get them to stand up in front of the class and pray. First of all, they might not know how, and that would be hugely confronting, but to quietly sit there and actually consider something that they might not have ever considered before is a step towards that. Yeah. My favorite quote in this part of this article, he says, we need to model the prayer life that we want our students to develop. We need to model the prayer life. So there's a vulnerability in that. Yeah, There's one thing to uh, lead a rote prayer or um, to facilitate something, you know, like a formality, Mm. but to model my prayer life for students to see, that's that's a big thing. That is is really... Uh, it really puts you in quite a vulnerable position. I mean, obviously, you're probably not going to pray about everything that you would personally, but it's modeling the type of prayer life. And the authenticity of yeah. that prayer life. One of our teachers who teaches STEM, when they've been working on projects and hit some sort of barrier, a technology barrier, 
he's actually paused everyone and got them to pray to the point where I, I believe that the students actually now will, that that's become a norm in the class. It doesn't seem to be the sort of thing that you would normally associate with a class like that, uh, where everyone's just, you know, thinking logically and it, but it's quite fascinating. Yeah. What I love about that is that's not where you would default to expecting prayer to take place. Yes. So, and in your school day. And so students say, Oh, hang on. When I, when I, a time in life or I just hit a challenge. It mm. doesn't have, doesn't even have to be a, a huge thing, but I'm just finding this difficult at the moment that the teacher's model, hey guys, why don't we stop and pray? Yeah. Uh, that's that's very powerful. It is. And it shows that God is interested in every area of our life. At any time. At any time. And, and you know, he's interested in a STEM project as well as in poverty overseas. Like he, he cares about every element. And I think that that's a great way of sort of opening kids hearts and minds to the character and nature of God. Yeah. Uh, and moving away from that religious, pharisaical kind of spirit. Yeah. And so the bottom line of it, I think, is that we need to not just facilitate prayer yeah. in our Christian schools, but we need to model authentic mm. prayer. It's a great, great point. So another element that's uh, discussed here is worship through song. Of course, you can, of course you can worship in multiple ways. Uh, one way... Christians really love to do that is with singing. Yeah, and often in a church service or a chapel service. <laughs> or any Christian gathering anywhere, we like to sing together, which is, I love it. Let's open with the song. Always. And so uh, if, if you haven't grown up in the church, that definitely can be a weird. bit of a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are they doing Christian karaoke every week? The point is made here that, that this is something that's important in what we do, part of our worship, part of uh, what we do as a school. But... He mentions if it's done poorly, it's worrisome. Again, teachers need to model worship for our students. Mm. And, uh, and that is also quite vulnerable. It's more than supervision. It's actually modeling, isn't it? Yeah. So when, we're, when, we, when we are worshiping as a school, that teachers are actually engaged in that, not just standing at the back, yeah. but showing this is something that we value is important. Yeah, and not as, not as an exhibition, as a no. show, like this, <laughs> look, look at me, I'm worshiping, but just... An authentic mm. engagement with my faith. Yes. And this is what it looks like. Um, we're, we're singing these songs. We're worshiping God. And for a young person to be able to look around the room and see that this is not just something that teachers talk about because this is their job mm. or because they teach at the school, but this is real to them. Yeah. They believe this. Yes. Yeah. There's an actual relationship there. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a really important thing. We, we know like there, there is a spiritual battle in that place. And there is like a battle for hearts and minds, isn't there? And yeah, and it's like no other worship service or no. context because there is a captive audience. Mm. And so that's a unique dynamic that we have in schools. So at church on Sunday, everybody's there because they've chosen to be there yeah. or at least or someone, in their, someone in their families made them be yeah. there. But for the most part, willing audience... In school, it's legislated that they need to be at school till they're 17 in Australia. Mm. So that if they happen to be at our school, they're going to be in our worship service. And that brings with it some tension yeah. when it's not what everybody in the room would choose to participate in and be a part of. And that's something we need to be sensitive to yeah, totally. and uh, wise how we manage that, but also not shy away from mm. who we are yeah I, I think that's important like we and we've talked about this and like wrestled around this a bit uh is it something should we just not do it or you know but i think really it's like how do we do it if we're going to worship what's the best way of doing it like of course we want we actually want it to sound good and want kids to not be there cringing but actually be able to go okay this first of all is done well 
and we try really hard to empower our students to do that because I think student-led worship is is really you know well, that's powerful. key. I think that's mm. I think that's a big key to it is that the worship in the school needs to be led by students yeah. who are empowered, not just the teachers mm. up the front. And I always admire the kids who can get up the front and sing in front of their peers. There's an authenticity to their worship. And I think oh, it's, like, it's brave. It's great. It, oh, it's courageous. Mm. And uh, it was interesting. We talked last year. There was that uh, study from the Barna Group yeah. talking about the spirituality of young people, millennials around mm. the world. And it talked about this percentage of young people who it described as the, the resilient disciples. Yeah. In every country, and when you do a study of the young people, there are these resilient disciples within Christianity mm. uh, who are standing strong. Yeah. Uh, and I see our chapel and worship services as a real empowerment of those students. Totally. There, there is a spiritual battle. There is tension and a dynamic going on there. But it's also the time where those resilient disciples really shine mm. and really learn to stand. Yeah, it's so good. It's so important. And I think along with that, so we've got these very mixed groups we have our resilient disciples yeah and then we have we have some people who are anti yeah and a whole lot of people who are quite nominal and so i think it it is really important for us to be um to be wise when choosing songs the songs that we sing you know that that they're not full of christianese yes that that the 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 words are actually understandable to our young people yes uh and and that's sometimes we have to take a step back and and consider you know what that is um and that's really important because what we have actually found over time is there are certain songs that seem to really connect with young people. For for whatever reason, Oceans is a huge one that <laughs> teenage girls seem to love. And I often think, what well, I don't I don't know what it is, but there's something in that song where they go, Oh, can we sing that song? And that that's amazing. Uh, but then in that another thing that we've found fascinating and really encouraging is sometimes after chapel, which might run into recess or lunch, we'll keep the room open for students to stay back and have some extended worship. And often there might be a group of 30 students or so, which is encouraging in itself. And some of those will know will know are strong Christian kids, but then there'll often be other students who just want to sit there or stand, or they might be standing with their friends or praying, or, or some kind. Some kids just want to sit and, and they want to have a moment. Sometimes they want to talk to a chaplain or a teacher. Other times they just want to sit and there's something about that moment. And we don't always know what's happening in their heart or in their mind, but we know that's a key moment for that child. Yeah. And the, and the worship creates the space for that, mm. for those, I guess, those heart transactions yeah. to take place. I was challenged recently, or um, well, someone challenged me and said, why do you, like, wh- why, when we sing these songs, do they have to stand? Like, yeah. why, why would everyone, like, it's, this is not my thing. This is not, I'm not I, don't, I don't believe in this guy. Why do I need to stand during this song? And I, and I grappled with that because I can understand the sentiment in the heart of that. Mm. Like, well, we don't want to be Pharisaic on saying you just have to go through this routine. Yeah, we want this to be a heart change thing, and then just saying, "Well, but you, but you have to stand." Is that being, being a Pharisee? Uh, and I was, I had thought about that and been praying about it, and then over this last holiday break, mm. I was in Vietnam. Oh yeah, and we were doing all the tours and going around, and uh, at one point we went to this, uh, this. Buddhist temple and we were on the tour and we, we went in and uh, everything was all quiet and we went up to the I guess the, the middle part of the temple and they asked us all to take off our shoes as we walked into this area so to a group we all took off our shoes and went inside and I, and I was thinking about it in that context mm. I thought you know what I'm not a Buddhist but I'm 
in their place, in their context, yeah. and I'm their guest. And so, of course, I'm going to take my shoes off and respect the context yeah. that I'm in. I think there is something in that for us in creating our culture in our mm. Christian schools that this is a Christian school. Mm. And so we don't require, well, in our context, you don't have to be a Christian. We don't tell you what you have to believe. But there is an understanding that there are things that we do because mm. we're a Christian school and it's, and it's part of being here and being respectful. Yeah. So we're not asking necessarily everybody to worship, but we are asking everyone to be respectful. And I think you, I think you can do that. Yeah, I think there is a way of finding a balance there. Without, yeah, like it's the balance between truth and grace, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think even to be upfront about that and recognizing that, that is a tension yeah. is actually helpful in itself. Yes. So that's um that's an excellent point. So we really value worship in our schools and uh, and it needs and like the like prayer, it needs to be modelled. Yes. So again, we don't just facilitate worship, but we need to be an environment that models authentic worship. It's excellent. So this, uh, this article really wraps up by asking a key question. And it says, is the way your students experience the Christian things you do aligned with the purpose for which you do them? I guess I, I think with that, it, you know when people say something out loud and they say, that sounded a lot less offensive in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wonder if sometimes it's a bit like that, that, that in our Christian experience and you know, in our heads, we think this is a great idea, but our students actually experience it in a totally different way. And so I guess the question at the end of this is, are the things we are doing in our schools actually being perceived or experienced by our students in the way we would desire at a heart level, or are they experiencing it in a pharisaical religious level? Yeah, and I think if we are honest in all of our schools, it can be both. Yes. On, or, yeah. or a little bit of both or totally. somewhere in between on any given day. <laughs> so it's something to be aware of. And I think for me, I come back to when dealing with and thinking about all of these ideas, I come back to when a student is in front of me or a situation is in front of me, where is my focus? Is my mm. focus on the behavior and ticking off a checklist of things that I want them to do? Or is my focus on the individual and the heart change that we know that God wants to create on the inside of them. And if I can shift my focus, because when we're talking about all of these things, it's nuanced mm. with prayer, worship, uh, whatever's happening in the school. It might only be just a slight change that shifts it from being behavior orientated to heart transformation orientated. Mm. Yeah. And that shift very often is on the inside of me mm. as the teacher. Yeah. So that, that's excellent. So it starts with us yes. as, as educators. Our, I guess us breaking down any spirit of religiosity or, you know, pharisaical spirit and surrendering that and saying our desire is for heart transformation over behavior modification. That's great. So shout out to Sean Brooker from New yes. Zealand. He probably will never listen to this, but <laughs> he writes good articles and... Uh, definitely worth a read so check it out on the ACSI website and uh, thanks for joining us we'll see you next time